Our sermon scripture for today comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verses 22 through 40. This is the word of the Lord. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout, He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him was the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, You may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory for your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There is also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. It's the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. If you will please pray with me. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you. May all that's done in this service today do nothing other than help us to seek justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with you. Amen. Today, liturgically, is known as the day of the presentation of the Lord. After his circumcision, Mary and Joseph take Jesus to the temple to offer a sacrifice and to present their firstborn to the Lord as was customary. In Exodus 13:2, God demands that the Israelites who were delivered from Egypt consecrate their firstborn to God as a sign of their promise and deliverance. The firstborn's of Egypt were killed unless they had marked their doors with the lamb's blood, known as Passover. And this was part of Israel's delivery from slavery. And now the Israelites were commanded to memorialize this by consecrating their firstborn to God. So this is what Mary and Joseph go to do. They go to present their firstborn to God at the temple, a fairly typical act for this couple. 
but something remarkable happens when they go to do this very seemingly ritually ordinary thing. Simeon, who is said to be a devout man, was assured that he would not die until he had seen the Messiah with his own eyes. And so he takes the baby Jesus into his arms, and he sees Jesus for who he is, the Messiah. This is rare in the Gospels that anybody quite gets who Jesus is right. And so he immediately starts praising God because he has seen the revelation. He has seen God enfleshed. He has seen the glory of the Lord and how it will not just be for the Israelites, but for all people, even the Gentiles. He saw Jesus for who he is who God has made him and ordained him to be, and then Simeon foretold Christ's possibilities. He looked at the child and told Mary and Joseph that Israel will fall and rise with Christ, who will fall and rise, and that their own souls will be pierced, no doubt signifying that they will see their beloved child die. Then a prophet, a woman, named Anna, sees Jesus and starts to praise God because she too sees who Christ is and the possibilities for his life, and by extension, her people. You may or may not be surprised to learn that often the ones that realize who Christ is and then proclaim who Christ is are women. Anna sees Jesus, knows who he is, and then preaches about him to all who are hoping for a Messiah to come and save Israel. She becomes one of the first preachers about Jesus when Jesus is in diapers. It's much like the woman who went to the tomb and found it empty and went to tell the disciples what they had seen. The women were the first preachers of the resurrection and first preachers of the Messiah. There would be no gospel without the ladies. And for Anna and Simeon to know who Jesus could be, for Anna and Simeon to know that Jesus represented hope for the Israelites and the whole world, they had to see Jesus for who he was. And when they looked at Jesus, they did not just see a little baby, but they saw the possibility of who Jesus would grow to be. The scripture says that he did grow became strong, and he was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. I think this is a phenomenon that parents experience. I'm not positive because I've not had a kid, but I believe most parents, when they look at their child, they don't just see a baby. They see trips to Disneyland, they see scraped knees, they see scientists and astronauts, lawyers and doctors. They see someone who loves them when they're old and need to be taken care of. They see endless possibilities. And then as the kid gets older, they don't see less possibilities, but rather their vision of what their kid's future can be gets sharper. It gets more defined and more refined. Maybe the kid doesn't like football, so they're not going to be the next QB for the Broncos, but they're a real math whiz. 
And so their vision of the future becomes more in tune with who their child is. Maybe they see their kid's compassion and they know whatever my child does, they're going to make a positive effect on the world. And this is what they start to see. But to know what kind of future possibilities are in store for their kid, they have to know their kid. And so much hurt happens when a parent refuses to see who their kid is. If a parent thinks that their kid is the next LeBron and sticks them in basketball camp every year, but the kid wants to go code games on his computer, there's going to be some tension between the kid and the parent. Or worse, the parent just sees the kid as an extension of themselves rather than as their own person. It can stunt the kid's flourishing. Not to mention the harm that can be done when a kid is queer or trans and their parent refuses to accept it. The kind of relational damage that happens when a kid is afraid to be themselves around their family. Now, it's good to have hopes and dreams and aspirations about who your kid will be, but those hopes and dreams and aspirations have to be tempered by reality. Now, for Simeon and Anna, it was easy for them to see who Jesus was and what Jesus would do. They had divine intervention. The Holy Spirit was upon Simeon. They had God basically whispering in their ear. It's like a cheat code for knowing. We're unfortunately not that lucky. When I interviewed for this position... I called the church a beautiful risk, and I'm glad that it didn't disqualify me from the running. And I think the reason it didn't disqualify me is because this church had done the work to know who they are before they ever even talked to me. And that became clear to me in reading the profile, in interviewing with the search team, and in praying about it. I saw many possibilities for this church that it could become a hub for community, that it could be a space of retreat and deep spiritual growth, that it could transform not only the church, but the people in the church and the community around it. And it has, to what I've experienced, been a place of healing, inviting God's people of all identities and walks in their spiritual journey into the doors and into the pews and upstairs to go get a cookie. It's been a place of community building, inviting groups to use the space to redefine who belongs to the word our when we say our church. But for me to see that potential, for me to see the beauty in the risk, there had to be an honest assessment. An honest assessment that yes, this church is a risk. And I am so incredibly thankful that Evergreen did that spiritual work of figuring out who they are before I ever got here. I think it's the number one reason why I've been able to come and be successful and be a good fit and feel like I belong. You all didn't have the voice of God in your ears. Maybe you did. But from what I understand, you had to do the hard and dirty work of discernment. You had to know who you were and be honest about it to also understand 
who you are and what possibilities are ahead. Imagine if we could approach every relationship that way, to be honest about who we are and see the possibilities because of it. Anissa left for LA on Thursday night. And after conversations with her and the leadership team, I'll be joining her in sunny California. I'm gonna miss the snow for sure. Sometime in July. Meaning my last day here will probably be early July. I didn't expect to leave so soon. And it fills me with grief to be leaving. When I accepted the call, I imagined myself being here for five years, taking a sabbatical, and then reassessing if I still had ministry to do and what would be next. And I'll be honest in saying that I still feel like I have ministry to do, but life has pulled me another way. I unfortunately have to leave, and yet there are still so many possibilities for this church. And it means that we're going to have to be honest and discerning about who we are and where we are today. In 2021, we had a 75% increase in building use income and a marked increase in our giving. We now rent space to the Audubon Society, to Mountain Youth Musicals and Ovation West. And we've started sewing these beautiful pieces of fabric that existed in Evergreen into a quilt. We're bringing communities together, we're inviting them into worship, and we're also trying to force ourselves out into the community as well. We've been growing slowly and steadily, accepting and inviting people who come into our doors, and we have been blessed that sometimes they stick around. We've been utilizing our spiritual gift of hospitality to comfort grieving families that come to the church for a funeral, for AA and Al-Anon groups that had nowhere else to go in the thickest parts of the pandemic but needed consistency. And strangers have become friends. We're on the cusp of two huge financial milestones. We're only a few years away from paying off the mortgage. And we're also in the exploration stages of a transformation grant with the region that will not only keep the ministry going, but expand the ministry we're doing here. And in late June, we're going to have an art fair, concert, fundraiser. First, it was just going to be a gallery, but it keeps expanding because other people see the possibilities of this church as well. We have been surviving and in some ways thriving in a pandemic. We are not where we were two years ago. And if we're honest in discerning about where we are today, if we see ourselves for who we are honestly, we'll see the kinds of possibilities that are open. You're stuck with me for a few more months. And after those few months, this church will have to be incredibly intentional about who they are as they enter into the search and call process and look for another full-time pastor. And you know what? I'm not too worried for you. Well, I am worried, but I'm not too worried for you all. For me, Evergreen was an extremely attractive opportunity. 
I was in serious talks with a larger, historic, financially stable church that had the opportunity for me to have paid staff people. And every single time I prayed or thought about my call, I kept thinking, why the hell would I not go to Evergreen? I know the search will be tiring. I know you'll need a burst of energy and it might feel like we're grinding the same wheels we drove into the ground before, but we are not where we were two years ago. And the words of the prophet Isaiah say, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They'll soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be But know this, I am not the church. I am not the only energy behind our ministry. I am not the only leader, the only visionary, the only one that can create a committee or lead a Bible study or write a grant or even give a sermon. We are the church. We are all ministers of the gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ. And if we are honest about that, we'll see the possibilities that lay before us. Amen.